Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. I'll tell you right from the start here, uh, I'm uh, biting a cold all week, and uh, so if I have to stop to cough or whatever, forgive me in advance. So uh, before we uh, jump into uh, what I want to talk about today, I need you to help me out with something. Uh, if you've uh, got uh, your version, if you've got your phone or your tablet or other device, and uh, you can go to version right now, I want you to help me with uh, some survey questions. And here's why I'm asking you to do that, um, especially in our uh, first hour, but it's also a uh, more uh, evident here some weeks, uh, we are filling up both of our services, uh, and it was a great thing. It is so exciting. Uh, there is just uh, something that has happened since we moved into this facility. There is a renewed energy and passion. It's evident in our worship. Um, it's evident in the way that you guys are bringing your friends. Uh, it's exciting. God is up to some really uh, great stuff that I am incredibly excited about, but because we're filling up both of these services, uh, it means we need to think about adding a third worship experience on Sunday mornings. Uh, to continue to make room so that we can reach more and more people. That is why we exist. That is our mission, to reach people, to point them to Jesus, to connect them in a relationship with him, and then to connect them in a sense of community right here. And so uh, we want to continue to make room for us to do that. And so what you've got on version, and uh, the event is going to be open today all the way till 5 o'clock. So if you think, well, I don't have a phone, I don't have a tablet with me, go home, uh, get on your uh, computer at home, go to the Internet, go to youversion.com. And uh, you can find our live event there. It'll be open, like I said, all the way till 5 o'clock today. And there are several poll questions that I'd like your input about regarding the times of our services. Uh, we're in that evaluating process, and we're trying to figure out what uh, format is going to work best. Um, the question I'm you know, most concerned about is uh, what time will allow us to reach the most people and point them to Jesus. And so you can help us in that evaluation process and answer those questions Give us your feedback, and we'll throw that in with everything else that uh, we're considering. And uh, I'll just tell you, it will also create more opportunities to serve, and so we'll be asking you to continue to step up and uh, serve if you're not. And uh, I'll also tell you, uh, this was going to come pretty quickly, okay? This is not like months down the road before this happens. We're talking weeks uh, before this needs to happen so that we can continue to reach people. So just uh, be, be warned. Celebrate with us. It's exciting. It's a really cool thing to have to, to get to do. And uh, so uh, you can help us with that information and then be uh, prepared to help serve and uh, continue to invite your friends to come to Crosspoint and experience uh, what God is doing in this place. Well, uh, we're in uh, week three of our uh, series, Once Upon a Marriage. And as you saw in the bumper, today we're going to look at uh, Abraham and Sarah and see what lessons their marriage can uh, teach us as we try to navigate through what we've been calling the profound mystery of marriage, as the Bible does. And, uh, you know, all of us know it seems a bit mysterious at times. And we're trying to figure out how do we navigate through this in a healthy way. I, uh, I read of this week about a guy who was sitting at the breakfast table one morning. Uh, he's kind of eating his breakfast. And his wife came up from behind him and said, honey, do you know what today is? It's a special day. And he said, oh, yeah, I know what it is. Thinking to himself, I don't have a clue. I have no idea what today is. So he went off to work. And when he got there, he thought, maybe it's her birthday. Maybe that's the special day. So he called the florist and ordered a dozen white roses and had him sent to his wife. Well, later in the morning, as he's thinking, he's saying, you know, maybe that's not enough. Maybe, maybe it's actually our anniversary, and I've forgotten that. I've really messed up. So at lunchtime, he goes to the jewelry store, and he picks out this beautiful tennis bracelet and has it hand-delivered to his wife. Well, on his way home tonight, he's still feeling like, maybe I didn't cover all my bases. Well, what if I've messed up? And she's really upset. She's very sensitive about all this. These days are a big deal to her. So he stopped and bought a box of chocolate. Well, when he pulled in the driveway, his wife came running out of the house to him, and he handed her the chocolates, and she gave him the biggest hug he had had in weeks. And she said, honey, this is the best Groundhog Day I've ever had. 
Well, if you're not married yet, and you're hoping to be married someday, do you you have a, a picture, a dream of what that will look like? If you're already married, maybe you can rewind the time back to those pre-marriage days. Did you have a picture, a dream of what marriage would look like? And I'm guessing there are people in the room today that you look at the way your life is today and you think, this isn't how I pictured it. This wasn't the the way I pictured the dream in my mind. Well, I, I think that's true for Sarah and the story we want to look at today. I think there's a point in life where she kind of looks around and thinks, I'm not sure this is how I pictured it. This isn't how I saw my marriage with Abraham exactly working out. So we're going to jump right into the story. Uh, if you, so if you're following along in your Bible or you're following along in the YouVersion live event, you can scroll down to where the text is. Genesis chapter 12 is where we're going to be. So it's the very first book in the Bible, just the 12th chapter. We're going to look at uh, the whole chapter pretty much this morning. Genesis chapter 12, uh, beginning in verse uh, 1. The Lord said to Abram, and let's explain the name thing here for a moment because it can be confusing. I I will tend to refer to them as Abraham and Sarah. It's the same guy because he starts out with the name Abram and she starts out with the name Sariah. And later God changes their names to Abraham and Sarah. So one and the same person, okay? Not two different people, so don't be confused. Here's what God says. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, as a side note, this is an incredible promise that God is making. Because right here in the book of Genesis, God starts the story of his redeeming love for us. And this this promise that he makes that will be for all the peoples of the earth, it included us. And it was carried out and fulfilled when Jesus Christ came and died on the cross. But all all the way back in Genesis, thousands of years ago, God was already weaving together his story of redemption, a story that would include every one of us. Verse 4. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out for Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot and all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. So Abram's a wealthy man and he's going to go on this journey. And if you want to picture kind of geographically, we're talking about kind of the Middle East and uh, Iraq, uh, Turkey and those areas. And then eventually he's going to make his way um, down into Egypt. And uh, ladies, can you imagine if uh, your husband came home from work one day and he said, Honey, pack everything up. We're moving. Why? Well, God told me to. Where are we going to go to? I don't know. What are we going to do there? I don't know. But what about all of our family and friends here? Better tell them goodbye. When are we leaving? As soon as we get everything packed up. Where is it we're going again? I don't know. Now, I'm guessing that's exactly what happens to Sarah. And I'm guessing at this moment, and this is my speculation, I think for Sarah, at age 65, this was not part of her dream. She looked at life and she's saying, wait a minute, Abram, that is not exactly what I pictured when we got married. But they pack everything up, and they take off on this journey, and they travel for a while, and then move on down to verse 10, and look at what happens. Now, there was a famine in the land where they had been, 
And Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. So there's a, there's a famine where they've been. They go on down to Egypt because of the Nile River. It was a fertile area, and often they would fare far better in a difficult time than would the other surrounding land. Verse 11, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels, all kinds of wealth. Verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her. Go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything that he had. There are two lessons, I think, in this story. And they both involve choices that we make regularly. The first one, when Abraham says to Sarah, I want you to tell a lie. Tell them that you're my sister. He was really asking her to give himself, to give herself up to save him. When uh, Peg and I were still dating years ago, um, we uh, lived in the Columbus area, Columbus, Ohio, and... uh, opposite ends of the city kind of and so there were occasional afternoons when we had stuff going on in the evening we would meet at a park in worthington and and walk together and so one day we we did that we met at this park in worthington and we were uh, taking a walk along the nature trails and as we were actually heading back towards our car just off the trail was a snake now we have different versions about exactly how the story goes at this point okay here's my version of the story being the protector that i am I said to her, honey, you go on ahead, thinking that I'll watch the snake to make sure that he doesn't move in any way to to strike out at her. Here's her version of the story, which might have more truth. Her version of the story is that I am deathly afraid of snakes, and I am. So when I saw the snake, I thought, let's send her on ahead, see if the snake moves or anything, and I'll be okay. <laughs> Listen, what Abraham did was not funny and was far more destructive. When Sarah heard Abraham say to her that day, just tell a lie, say that you're my sister. You know what she realized? She got a glimpse of exactly where she ranked in his heart. And I think, I think there was a part of Sarah that day that felt devastating. Because suddenly she realized he was asking her to give up herself to save him. He was putting himself ahead of her. She got a glimpse of where she ranked in his heart. Let me ask you something. Where would your spouse say that that they rank in your heart? 
Not, not, not what do they say with their words. But what would your spouse, where does your spouse think that they rank in your heart based on your attitudes and actions? Based on what you actually do, based on your attitudes, what do you communicate to your spouse? And where do they think they rank in your heart based on what you do? Husbands, does your wife at times feel like she ranks somewhere behind your job? Does she feel like she ranks behind sports? Does she think maybe that she ranks somewhere behind fishing? Does she feel like at times she ranks behind the kids? Wives, how about you? How does he, where does your husband think that he ranks in your life? Somewhere behind your job? Maybe it's somewhere behind scrapbooking. Or, or maybe uh, your, your husband feels like he ranks somewhere behind the children. Husbands, if you're, if you're always working late, and then when you finally do come home, you're dragging more work home and working well into the evening, or you're never taking your days off or your vacation time, or when you come to the table at dinner, you're always getting interrupted. You allow yourself to get interrupted by work calls. You know what you're telling your wife? You're, you're saying to her, work is more important than you are. Or husbands and wives. If you can't come to the dinner table at night without your cell phone because someone might send you a text or might send you an email or might call you, you know what you're saying to your family? Whoever might call me or whoever might text me or whoever might email me is more important than you are. And, and I know the examples that I'm using don't seem nearly as big a deal as what Abraham does to Sarah. But I think over time, they have the potential to be just as destructive. And husbands, if your wife always feels like she ranks behind something else in your life, that there's something in your life that's always more important to her, it's crushing her. And ladies... If your husband always feels like there is something else that is more important in your life than he is, it can crush him. So here's a conversation that every husband and wife needs to have sometime this week. You need to sit down together and you need to ask this question. Is there anything I do or don't do that makes you feel like something else is more important to me than you? Write that down. Have that conversation. Is there Anything that I do or don't do that makes you feel like something else is more important to me than you. And then, you need to let them answer. Without arguing, without being defensive, without defending your point, without making excuses, you need to give, let them give you a completely honest answer. Now, you know what? A lot of you won't have that conversation this week. Because... You don't like to feel how those kinds of conversations make you feel. And so you avoid it. But it's a conversation that needs to happen. Now, on the positive side, there are some things that I think we can do. Some of them very simple things that are just a part of the daily grind of life that have a way of communicating to your spouse that you are important to me. You're very important. Let me just give you some examples, some suggestions. Number one, just... Daily words of gratitude. Just saying thank you. Do you realize that we have a, a tendency not to say thank you, not to be grateful for things that we expect people to do? 
I mean, it's true. If you expect somebody to do a particular thing, you are far less likely to really be act grateful. And if you find, you think about your life and you realize, you know what, I, I very seldom act grateful towards my spouse, it may be a gauge for you that says you're communicating they're not very important to you. Do you acknowledge the things that they do and things that they accomplish? You know, guys, when you come home from work, if your wife has spent a long time cleaning the house, do you say thank you? Do you say, man, it looks great, it smells great, thanks so much? Or, or ladies, your husband spends the afternoon out in the yard working away, mowing, trimming, making everything look as good as it possibly can. Do you ever go out and just admire it and say, man, it looks great? Thanks for taking the time to do that. Guys, your wife comes home from the grocery store. I may be being sexist here about some of these things. It's just the way it works at my house. Um, so, guys, the, your wife comes home from the grocery store with a, with a car full of groceries. I mean, do you even get up off the couch? Go help her and say thanks. Thanks for taking the time to go buy all of that food and make sure that our, our family is fed this week. Or, or ladies, your, your wife, your husband uh, gasses up the car for you. Do you say thank you? Guys, you come home at the end of the day and your wife's been with the children all day long. It's exhausting. Do you say thank you? To acknowledge the investment that she has made in your kids all day long? It's just simple things. Part of the daily part of life. But if all of us would decide that every day I'm going to do something that says to my spouse that I'm grateful make a huge difference. Then there's daily acts of service. Do you ever look at things that aren't done in your house? You know, you see something that's not done and it's something that your spouse usually does and as you're walking away from it, you think to yourself, oh, he'll do it or she'll do it. They always do. That may be another gauge that says I'm doing some subtle things that communicate to my spouse. They're not all that important to me. Uh, here's how it works for me. You know, if I... Uh, fix myself a snack, and I sit in front of the TV for a while eating that snack, and then eventually get myself back up off the couch and make that long, treacherous journey from the living room to the kitchen. And I see that there are dishes already in the sink. I'm at a crossroads. I'm at a fork in the road, if you will. A decision. I could just add my dishes to the pile that's already there. Nobody will probably say a thing. Or I could, I could wash them all. What's your decision? Because you know what? Honestly, seriously, in things like that, you know what the decision you're really making is? Am I going to serve my spouse and communicate that you're really important to me? Or am I just going to be selfish and sneak off away? There's a principle that Jesus talks about that, that I thought about this week. And when Jesus taught this principle, he made a reference to possessions and finances. But it dawned on me as I was thinking about this message that I think it also applies to what we're talking about here. Jesus said one day, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, here's what he was saying. He's saying wherever your, whatever is truly your treasure, wherever you are really investing your life, that's what has your heart. Now, the first thing that ought to have all of our hearts is God. That's got to be first in all of our lives. But second to that, after that, your spouse ought to have your hearts. And you ought to be investing your life, your time, your energy, your passions in serving them and building that relationship. 
and communicating to them in as many ways as you possibly can that they they come first in your heart only after God. That it's God and then it's them. That's where they reign. But I'm telling you, it's a choice that we make. It's a choice that we make every morning when the alarm clock goes off and you get out of bed, you have to choose. Where's my wife, where's my husband going to rank in my life today? There's a second choice that I think Abraham made. As he makes that journey towards Egypt, he becomes afraid. And you know what? He, I don't blame him in a way. He fears losing his life, and he fears losing his wife. And, uh, you know, now, but I think about it. It's interesting, his fear. Because you think about, remember the promise that God had made? God had promised Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have children. Now, the last time that I knew, when I studied in biology, to have children, it takes a living man and a living woman. Okay? So the fact that Abraham is afraid that he's going to lose his wife or lose his life, he has no reason for that. But what does he do? In his own sinfulness, in the midst of that fear, he jumps in and tries to fix the problem. He says, let's tell a lie. And you know what he was really saying in that? Let's tell a lie because I don't trust God to do what God says he's going to do. And you know what? In our married lives, in fact, in life in general, we all find ourselves there at times. We all find ourselves reacting in fear rather than responding in faith. And when we react in faith, we, we try to jump in, try to fix it ourselves, come up with our own solution. And in essence, we're saying, God, I don't really trust you to take care of this. So I'll jump in and I'll fix it myself. Now, you know, I know it's fair to say that our faith is only as good as the object that we place our faith in. Isn't that true? Erin Longworthy found that out when she placed her faith in a bungee cord. Watch this. She survived. Even though she fell into crocodile-infested waters, she survived. She thought she could place her trust in a bungee cord and it would be okay. And here's a lesson she learned. She learned you can't always trust a bungee cord. Here's, here's what I'm afraid of. I, I'm afraid there are a lot of us who think a similar thing about God. We, we've gotten to a point that we think you can't always trust God. And it's so untrue. You know what? Abraham and Sarah, at different points in their life, struggled with their faith. They, they struggled to really know whether or not they could depend on God. And they, it was kind of an up and down thing. There were moments where they really trusted God. And there were other times kind of in the valley where they said, oh, we're not sure. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to try to find our own solution. God one day, though, in the midst of their, one of their doubting times, said something very significant to them. He asked them a question, a very profound question, a very important question. And I think he'd ask a lot of us this question at times in our lives, too. He simply said to them, is there anything too hard for the Lord? It's a good question. You know what? I can't prove it, but it seems like after God asked Abraham and Sarah that question, there was a shift in their faith. And it seems as you study the rest of their life that they trusted God a whole lot more than they had in the past. It's a good question we ought to ask too. Because you know what? In the midst of our marriages, there's a lot of fear at times about things that happen. And when that fear raises its ugly head in our marriages, in the midst of all the anxiety and the stress that it produces, we have a tendency to want to jump in and try to fix it ourselves. We begin to believe ourselves. Not sure I can trust God, so I better do this. And here's what I'd encourage you as a couple. The next time that happens, sit down together, pray together, and ask this question for each other. 
Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you've been struggling to find a job for a while. And some days you just think, it's all dead ends. Am I ever going to find anything? As a couple, I ask this question. Is there anything that is too hard for the Lord? Maybe you're a uh, fairly young couple. And one of your greatest desires is to have children. And for whatever reasons, it just it hasn't happened. And you're beginning to wonder if it ever will. Together you ought to ask this question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe you're a little farther along in life and uh, you're struggling with a, a rebellious teenager or a rebellious young adult. And at times as a couple, you find yourselves on opposite spectrums of how to even deal with it. And there are sleepless nights and anxious moments as you try to help navigate through all of that. And together you ought to ask, is there anything too hard for the Lord? You see, there is a common thread of advice that runs throughout this whole series, Once Upon a Marriage. And the common thread of advice is this. You've got to trust God. He has to become the center of your relationship. Until God becomes the center of your relationship, I guarantee you, you will struggle. Now, there'll still be struggles when he's in the midst of it, but he helps you to navigate through those struggles, and he becomes the foundation that you stand on. And everything else, really, it's like a bungee cord. It can't always be trusted. And oftentimes, it'll let you down. It'll fail. But God is the one thing in our lives, the one thing in our marriages that will never fail. Mike Rowe is a pastor in uh, Illinois. And he tells of a time when he was coaching an 8th grade basketball team. And uh, his 8th uh, grade basketball team, uh, one of the guys on the team, his dad, while he was out mowing the yard in the late fall, died instantly of a massive heart attack. And they asked Mike to do the funeral. It was very, very difficult. Not long after the funeral, he sat down with the family one day just to see how they were doing. And in a conversation with the wife, the boy's mother she said something that that really surprised him and he almost thought it inappropriate when she said it she said that mike in that conversation said i can't wait to be married again and we would all go well how can you say that so quickly your husband was just married but she went on to explain and when she began to explain it it all made sense she said my husband made it so fun to be married and my husband made me feel so valued that I can't wait to experience that again. And I hear that story and I think, wouldn't that be great if someone someday said that of you? That you made marriage so much fun, that you valued your spouse so much, so deeply, so highly, that they won't experience it all over again. Now here's the thing I want you to take with you. Most important thing today for all of us in this room is to know that God loves you. And even though at times the love of a husband or a wife may falter, may fail, God's love for you never will. There has never been one second of your life that God looked at you and said, I don't love you. It's never happened, and it never will. His love for you is unfailing. And you can trust in that. Let's pray together. God, would you help us to love even a fraction of the way that you love? God, thank you.
for loving us unconditionally. Thank you that your love never fails and we can always trust in you. There is nothing that is too hard for you. God, I pray for the the marriages in this room. And I, I know today, God, some of them represented in this room are very broken. God, I I pray for healing. God, I pray in those situations where both of them are willing, and it takes both of them, that, God, you would do your redemptive, restoring work. Father, in cases where one just isn't willing, would you bring healing and hope to the hurting one? God, for all of us in this room, for the rest of us who are married, Maybe our our marriage isn't broken. It's not falling apart, but God, it it could always be better. Would you help all of us to to communicate in as many ways as we possibly can to our spouse that they, they rank in our hearts, God, that there's nothing other than you more important to us than them. God, would you help us all to walk out these doors today refreshed and renewed in your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Yeah, I just want to thank you uh, for uh, being at Crosspoint. We're going to wrap this series up next Sunday. Uh, we're going to deal with a really uh, powerful topic next week. And so I want you to be here. Keep bringing your friends. Uh, I challenge you guys, let's fill this service as full as the first one is. Let's pack this place out. And let's keep pointing people to Jesus. I hope you have a great week. Love your spouse. Love people. And know that God loves you. See you next week.